Okay, what up, light listeners, and welcome to another show, uh, episode 68, with myself, Ben. And Josh. Where we will dig into a few weeks of news, because, uh, yeah, last few weeks haven't exactly gone to plan, so we had a, a brief hiatus, shall we say. <laughs> yeah. How you been doing, anyway? I'm alright, I'm good, I'm alright. Um, I haven't really been keeping up with the news of the last uh, four weeks, I find it a little bit all the same, pretty much the same with it. Uh, there's been some exciting stuff with the um, trees in May second down and um, the whole European elections and now you've got the race to be Prime Minister, you've got Donald Trump coming to the UK on a state visit, you've got so much things going on, but it just feels very much the same in the sense of Brexit and the country's not actually going forward. Um, yeah, so there's a lot going on with um, Hawaii and uh, Huawei and um, America. It seems to be getting worse for them. But um, there's a lot we can dig, in, dig deep into. So where do you want to start? Uh, good, good question. Um, we can start on the home front, I guess. Might as well start with the um, what race for Tory party leadership, should we call it? Yeah. Well, it's the race at the bottom, isn't it? Um, so <laughs> three, 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 there you go. Race. There's the show title. Three the May officially stepped down as Tory leader on Friday. Um, which therefore start, began the race for her position as Prime Minister. Uh, at the moment, they've got 11 candidates so far. The favourites um, being Boris Johnson, Sajid Javid, um, Michael Gove, and has one more slip my mind. But um, yeah, those, those are the main um, people. Uh, it, at one point, I thought Boris was going to get stung by this um, court injunction. In the, the court, um, the lawsuit, the guy that put the lawsuit forward um, for the 350 million a week that um, Brexit will save the NHS. However, um, this week the, the judge overturned that, leaving um, Boris Johnson to go forward clear and <laughs> clear and without any prejudice to go for the Tory, le- Tory leadership. Well, and what's funny, his enemy, the person that always seems to come out when Boris goes to leadership, um, Michael Gove. <laughs> My goal always comes out. It's like I'm gonna stop Boris at all, of, at all, all counts. And it's come out, and he's announced his name for leadership. And it's come out this week that he's um, 20 years ago. Well, 20 years ago is what 1999. He did cocaine, <laughs> and he's come out and apologised for it. Uh, so to be honest, just on this front, this is all getting a bit silly now because I don't actually, frankly. I don't really care about what he did 20 years ago. I, I, I mean, I don't like Michael Gove, but I'm not going to hold him doing cocaine when he was 19 in university against him. Um, it seems to be, they're all, they all seem to be getting, well, it seems to just be air your dirty laundry week because he's had discharged against him. I think Rory Stewart has come out and apologised for smoking opium um, when he was at a wedding 15 years ago. Um, I think what Boris Johnson is accused of doing cocaine, but he said, oh, I didn't really do it because I sneezed. So I didn't take any of it in. Um, I think Dominic Rab as well has apologized for smoking marijuana. I'm like, actually, guys, don't apologize for it. Do you know what? Just come out Ooh. and say, I'm not sorry. I was a child. It doesn't reflect on who I am now. I would find that to be you being more human than this saying, please forgive me for my trespassers from 20 years ago. Like, it's just, it's just soft. Like, you've got one side of the world in the States where they've got 
different states legalizing marijuana and mushrooms and moving forwards and making it more acceptable. And then you've got us prudes on this other side of the ocean who are just like, oh, it's so taboo, I have to apologize for ever doing that. I think it's all a bit, all a bit silly. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it, uh, yeah, it's just a bit stupid. Um, then you, none of them, you, then the thing is, none, none of them have, though, on this, because I think it was maybe Dominic Raab or Jeremy Hunt who came out and said that the next um, Prime Minister can't be Theresa May 2.0. But a lot of them are coming out and saying exactly that. So I think, what, Michael Gove's come out and said, look, the uh, end of October is an arbitrary date, so if we need to move it by a couple of weeks, then we will do that. Well, we've already seen that that's an argument that has already been portrayed by and, and actually laid and planned itself out from Theresa May. You've got Sajid Javid, who's probably got the worst proposed plan here, right? So listen to his five-point plan and tell me if this sounds familiar. Rule out a second referendum, an early general election, or revoke an Article 50. Mm, sounds awfully like Theresa May. Prepare fully for a no-deal Brexit. Well, pretty much sounds like Theresa May because we already know that there were a lot of preparations put in place for a no-deal Brexit um, previously. Find a deal that can be approved by Parliament. Um, if you haven't been watching, fella, that's what we've been trying to do for the last 12 to 18 months. Not sure why you think yours is going to be any different. Work with Ireland to arrange, uh, amend the Irish backstop to include a time limit or exit clause. Sorry, mate. The EU have told you that that's one thing that they're not backing down on. They won't put a time limit on it and they won't amend their agreement that they've got to remove it. Either get a revised deal through Parliament or, with great regret, leave without one on the 31st of October. Um, this sounds to me just like Theresa May with pants. So his, his proposal is just fucking use it. For as much as I don't agree with the others, right, at least they're trying to put something different on the table. Boris Johnson is kind of coming out and saying, look, I'll go with a no deal if I have to go with a no deal. I think um, Esther McVeigh has said the same thing. I think Rory Stewart has said, I'm not going to go with a no deal. And if Boris, Boris wins, then I'm leaving because I can't work underneath him. Um, so I'll give it to them. At least they're saying, right. If we have to leave when we leave with no deal, I think it's a stupid idea, but at least it's a different approach to Theresa May. But yeah, I, I think Sajid Javid is a bit of a lemon anyway, personally. Is it, is it, um, he came out, so, sorry, he came out earlier uh, when he announced, um, when he announced his um, battle for leadership, um, that he came out and said, oh yeah, I'm going to introduce 10,000 new um, police jobs in this country. The way to tackle crime and tackle knife crime is to, um, is to produce, um, hire more new, hire new police, police, and I was thinking, mate, you're the home secretary. You're in charge of that anyway. Even if you're a prime minister, <laughs> you're the, you're in charge of that. We're not. Um, the UK isn't like America. We haven't got the president. Is, the prime minister is not the president of the of the of the, of the parliament. She's the prime minister. The first month in her cabinet, she's the first month's equals. So um, it doesn't. You saying that? Oh, I'm gonna bring ten thousand new. Um, Police people makes no sense because you're the you're the you're the um, home secretary. You should be doing that anyway. So <laughs> I just thought to myself, you're a complete clown. The fact that you're you're campaigning on this and saying that you're going to do this as prime minister, I'm like, why wouldn't you? Why couldn't you do that as home secretary? You're supposed to be the first among equals. Like a lot of things, a lot of times politicians say stuff, yeah, because they know the the um, the public are ignorant. But people like me, I look I look, look at him like an idiot. I'm like, what? You're a home secretary. It's not like you. You're the home secretary. It's not like you didn't have the position to do what you want to do now. You could have done it. You could have told the prime minister, "I want to do this," and the prime minister will go, "Okay, cool. We, we, um, our cabinet will agree with it." But 
you saying because you'll be prime minister, you can do this now. I'm like, bruv, are you taking me for a mug? Also, Sajid, Sajid, um, Sajid Javid, he's a, he's a he's a home secretary that likes to break the law. So, um, his his um, his handling of the uh, Muslim girl in um, Syria was illegal, <laughs> and and if it gets challenged in court, it would be proven that it's illegal. He's effectively made her stateless, and that's illegal by international law. So, um, I, I I just don't like him at all. I hate him actually. He's uh, um, there's not a lot of people. Uh, I dislike Gold. I dislike Boris Johnson. I dislike Farage. Actually, I find Farage, even though I, I dislike him for he is, I find him quite entertaining. And I know you hate him, but I hate Javid. I just can't stand him. The guy that makes me my skin crawl. I just can't stand him. He makes he's, he's an idiot, complete fool. Can't stand him. Anyway, go carry on what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't. I, I, the only person I really can't can't stand is Nigel Farage. Everybody else I find to be annoying, but only as useless as politicians are in general. Um, I also think the problem with him is as well, and that he is even more Theresa May. Um, 2.0 because he's coming from exactly the same position as she jumped into and to be honest he's been in it for what like 12 months maybe so yeah. for me he doesn't even have the experience and credentials to be going for this leadership race whether i like michael gove or boris johnson or not they've been around the block um now my view is boris johnson the reason that trump he says yeah i'd back him i think he'd do a good job is because he he himself is trump 2.0 um so yeah I, I don't know how this plays out. If I was to put money on it, I would think that it will be Boris Johnson who gets in because Michael Gove has not got... Get, the, the problem is, is you put Michael Gove in, half the country's going to lose their shit because it, people are not pleased with the way that he's done any of his um, roles, especially when he was head of education. He just made an absolute shit show of that. Um, he did uh, announce that he's going to try and do away with VAT. Um, now, whether he will or not is a different thing. But again, some of these people seem to at least be coming out to say, well, I'm going to do things slightly different to how Theresa May done it. Um, I'm inclined to think that this is going to go with Boris Johnson. And if we go with Boris Johnson, then we're going to crash out of the EU with a no deal. Uh, but that is just what I would see from the outside. It doesn't look like now because everybody else's plan, where as soon as there is a mention of we will come back to Parliament with a better deal, then your proposal has gone down the shitter because the EU aren't going to change. They're just going to say, we've played our cards. That took us 18 months to do. We're not now going to magically have a turnaround on six months because, again, whether we like her or not or whether the British public like her or not, the EU were pretty, actually pretty warm to Theresa May and they won't be with... my my In my mind... If Boris Johnson gets in and goes to the EU, right, the EU are going to be sitting in their negotiation room. He's going to rock up to the building. He's going to put a fucking helmet on, a shield and a spear, put his head down and just fucking go steamrolling through the door and cause absolute havoc. And I don't think it's going to go down well for anybody. So I, uh, that's just a little cartoon playing in my head as we're talking about this. Um, but yeah, uh, the, they vote for the candidates. What That closes tomorrow. Um, some people have already dropped out. Um, but weren't really serious candidates anyway. Uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm inclined to think that we'll find ourselves with Boris Johnson, former panellist on what was that, Have I Got News For You, satirical comedy, as Prime Minister. Again, very similar to Mr. Trump, who went from TV uh, <laughs> into being the most powerful man in the world. Oh, dear. It's it's interesting because of um, the European. So we, I think we we didn't have a podcast over the European elections, and the European elections brought up 
um, re the reemergence of the Liberal Democrat Party and um, the Brexit Party, which did which did amazingly well, given the fact that they didn't exist six weeks ago. I know people say that um, Farage had been planning this for for months upon months, and I agree, he probably had been planning for months upon months, but we still can't take that away. Uh, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens if. Um, if we are forced to have a general general election, I don't think it'll be as clear cut as people think it'll be like a Labour a Labour victory because I think Labour's victory will be Labour's votes will be cut into by the Liberal Democrats and I think the, and I think um, UKIP's dead because we saw by the European election UKIP is no longer a factor. But I do think the Brexit Party can um, split the Tory vote and you, and we've seen it with. Um, with Boris Johnson coming out saying if there's another delay on Brexit, that could be the extinction of the Tory party. And you're seeing that majority of Tory people and um, right-wing Tory uh, voters are will go and vote for Brexit. And because of the uncertainty, because of the uncertainty with the Labour Party and their stance on um, on the on Brexit and the EU, it's because of the Brexit the Labour Party are just as split as just as split as the um, the Tories if on Brexit due to. Um, Due to different parties and different having different um, what do you call it <sighs> different targets in the party, you see that um, a lot of Labour Labour voters are disillusioned by the Corbyn party because the Corbyn hasn't come out and made a clear stance on what Brexit should be. You've had people like his um, what the um, vice the 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 vice, the vice the, is it called leader deputy leader deputy leader um, coming out and saying that. Labour should be the party of a, of a, of a refer second referendum. Then you've come out and you've had to sit and the shallow chancellor coming out and saying that um, Brexit he'd he'd support a second referendum. So it's it's interesting. And also in in the same in the same space of us not having a podcast, you've you've seen that the Independent Party Change UK have split. So um, a few a few members of their party have left and now they've gone to become fully fully independent. Chukwu so is now fully independent, and then um, some people are going to carry on with the Change Party, and and by that. But um, they they've now become a non-factor because they've become a small indep independent party once again, and which which I could see um, very possibly joining with Liber Liberal Democrats and 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 add members of Liberal Democrats with then forced by-elections in their in which which will force by-elections in their um, constituencies. So it's a lot happening in on the domestic front, and a lot of things are going, a lot of things to analyze and look at. But um, yeah, I just think I just think that. If we do have a, if we do have a Boris Johnson um, prime minister and he does go for a no no deal Brexit and then the markets do plunge, you'll be forced to see it. You probably have a no confidence vote in um, Parliament and you will have a general election. And then when you have a general election, I don't think we'll have the clear cut victory people think that we're going to have. Well, it depends how far you want to look at this on the wider scale. It's not. Look, we we live in the age of coalitions, and and my my general theory behind this, at least in my mind, is the rise of the right and the left and people have always been on different sides of the political spectrum but with the introduction with the rise of social media and people able to people could previously disagree but you kind of did it over the mediums that existed well people can disagree on a social platform where they can give their voice to the world now right which is why we see the right going further to the right and the left going further to the left now if you look in germany they're building they're they're relying on a coalition if you look here we're relying on a coalition with the dup if there's a general election there will be another coalition that wins if you look at the states they're not running on the coalition but they're also a completely divided country um and the only examples really that you have nowadays where you don't have 
these governments which are highly polarized on their views and either running very close or marginalized difference between um, who is the leading party and who is not, i.e. like the Republicans, Democrats in the states, or with a coalition. The only, the only alternative to that is the author for authoritarian states, um, which is the, the worst side of the coin. So I don't see that there's any scenario that we get to here which doesn't result in um, it, whenever the next general election is being a forced coalition anyway because no no parties are making advances forward no parties are being able to speak to everybody's needs and you can't always please everybody but also you can't bury your head in the sand so recently there was the report from the un's rapporteur who came over and said that there are parts of the uk which are in poverty i don't think that many of us would argue that i think that it's quite clear that there are some people living i can't remember the term they use for it but if you're living with only uh, 10 pound a day um outside of your your paying for expenses and stuff and th we know that that goes on now that was vehemently pushed back on saying oh this is ridiculous that's not what you see over here no that's not what you see in certain parts of the country but that is what you see in other parts of the country so until the government want to take their head out of the sand and start saying well actually our nhs is pretty in a pretty shocking state our education system is not diverse or provide an equal opportunity like it's supposed to our policing approach to trying to bring down violent crime is not the right strategy for us to be taking. Um, and there are diverse uh, demographics in the country who need to have different policies to serve to them rather than just serving to the rich and the high middle class, which is what is led to the lower classes being pissed off and ultimately has led to us being in this situation where they said, I want to be heard so we're going for Brexit, right? Now, none of these parties, because of what they're formed by, they're all... They've all been brought up living in ivory towers anyway. They've all been brought up from nice backgrounds, rich backgrounds in most instances, nice um, university bring-ups, nice educational bring-ups. They don't understand. They don't want to reach out. They don't, they don't want to go and experience what it's like for the people who aren't from their background. And because they can't do that, then they'll never be able to connect with them, which means they'll never be able to say, right, Labour, we're going to give the policies that suit the people that will let us get to a majority. Tories won't be able to do the same thing. Liberal Democrats won't be able to do the same thing. Change UK are fucking useless anyway. They're just like, they're, they're just a, a kind of speck in the sands of time, to be honest. Um, mm. And the Brexit party, once the dust has settled, to be honest, I can see Nigel Farage doing the same thing, kicking up a lot of fuss and then walking away saying, well, I've, I've caused all my mess now. I'm going to disappear back into the political wilderness. But... Mm. Hey ho! There's my um, brief analysis on the state of the world politics. All right, staying on, um, staying on um, um, politics and staying on, on the UK. Trump visited the UK this week and uh, for a state visit. Um, I think Obama had one and George Bush had one, had one as well. And he was met by protesters coming to the UK. He also had a few things to say. He, um, he also had a few people um, pressing against him coming. So he had Sadiq Khan saying that he didn't represent what London stands for, so he won't be coming to meet him. He had Corbyn saying earlier that he wouldn't come to meet um, Trump, although that usually deputy leaders do come to meet presidents when they come to the UK. So yeah, when when the Chinese um, is it Zipin, as IP or I don't know what the guy's name is, um, came to the president of China came to um, the UK for a state visit. All the, all the leaders of the um, party came and met him. And um, although China has just as bad human rights record as America does. Worse. He, he's probably worse. <laughs> <laughs> probably worse. Um, 
and it was the funny that, that that these guys chose to make it a political statement instead of coming to meet him. Um, they chose to make it a, a statement, and you had the embarrassing specter of um, the leader of the opposition going to a protest of the president of the United States instead of going to meet him. And you think to yourself, what happens if Corbyn wins the election? What's he going to do? Um, well, if well, Corbyn's not going to win the election, and just and the protest you pointed out, what that was supposed to have like a quarter of a million people there. I think it had like fifteen thousand. Yeah, yeah. Nobody so wants to mention that in the the mainstream media, but still, that is the case. <laughs> yeah, it just it's just embarrassing that you see that the the, the leader of the opposition going to protest a sitting president instead of thinking of, thinking long term and, and thinking about the relationship they should that he should be fostering. If he does come, if he does ever come into power, um, yeah, well, and then Trump um, and oh. well, um, God, uh, Sadiq Khan as well. He had a bizarre. His was weird. So I know, I, I know, on the trip over, that Trump tweeted and called him a stone cold loser. But prior to him coming over here, he dug some collaboration with the magazine L, I think it was, where there's this little this kind of sketch, radio sketch that they do, and he starts going on about how we don't agree with the policies of, of Trump, and he, he picks out one specifically. So, so basically, I mean, L is a, a fashion magazine, so I guess it yeah. works out that these two go together. But he was basically saying, look, if you believe in women's rights in 2019, you're a feminist. And then he started saying, well, well Trump is not a feminist. Now, no, look, we, we all, all know the stories of what Trump has done and hasn't done when it comes to women in the past, right? However, this wasn't the approach that he took. What he did say is that he doesn't believe in um, feminist rights. And then he started alluding to, he used a specific example of abortions becoming pretty much illegal to carry out in certain states in the US. Now, firstly, it's, it's like a handful of states, but it's not, but it's being driven at the state level. And it's not actually been endorsed by um, the Senate, and it's not been endorsed by Donald Trump. He didn't explicitly say no to it, but he did say that he believes that abortion is acceptable in certain circumstances. Now, again, I don't, I, I, I hate Trump as much as the next person, but I like to think that apart from Nigel Farage, I pretty much take a politician on on his merits, right? From in my mind, and we spoke about it before, Trump is a lot of noise, a lot of bluster, but he's into his his kind of reign of the years, which I think is only going to be the first of his two terms. Um, but he has, he doesn't do anything. He can't do anything. Yeah. He can't get people <laughs> on side, right? So I'm not going to. I, to be honest, I just see him as like almost a, a sideshow, keeping the the president's seat warm for somebody who's going to come in and do something. But then Sadiq Khan comes out, and I'm like, if you're going to put an argument across, there are a whole lot of arguments that you could have put legitimately to the case of Donald Trump being a crap president. And you pick the one which actually is the worst one to pick and isn't really backed up. Obviously, because you've been told, well, we're a fashion magazine, so we want you to go with a feminist approach. And that just tells me that you'll just chuck your hat in for the ring for anybody who's going to give you money to drive their their own agendas. So yeah, I thought his his approach was pretty fruitless and and well, Jeremy Corbyn for me is just not a serious guy. Every chance he gets, he embarrasses himself. So uh, and also, I saw that nobody really. So all we saw was about the Trump baby balloon going up, but it was only if you went actually searching for it that you found that the the balloon also got popped up by uh, I think it was a Tommy Robinson follower. Um, it was quite interesting when I read the article on one of the sites on this is that they referred to it was a language that they used. Um, so they said that she had stabbed the balloon. She, she didn't stab the balloon. Stabbed the balloon to me gives connotations of the balloon being a human. It's not. She popped the balloon. If I pop a balloon that's in, in my hand, then somebody says, oh, look, he popped the balloon. They don't say I stabbed the balloon, do they? You don't need to make this more emotive than it needs to be. Um, mm. But, yeah, that's just general journalism being... 
fucking annoying, frankly speaking. But yeah, it was a it was a strange trip. Uh, somebody started trying to do analysis on body language, which I thought was a step too far. You don't really need to do this. We know that Harry's going to be pretty disinterested because he had a bit of a dig at Meghan Markle and then turned around and said, "Actually, I didn't call her nasty." We did, and we heard it on tape. Um, but <laughs> that is what it is. Um, what did he say? He said, I didn't know that she was nasty. But he doesn't... This is a weird thing. He He's always thinking ahead, so he doesn't finish his sentence. Like, his sentence yeah. should have been, she did. I didn't realise that she was nasty towards me. Um, yeah. Then it would have changed the context of, of what he said, right? But Harry looked a bit disinterested. I don't think the Queen was that interested in having him over, but he was over. So reading into the body language, I don't really think it was necessary. It was just, it was my, my annoyance with this was you spent 18 million trying to secure him when that money could have been better put elsewhere. But Hey ho, it, it is what it's just raw pomp, right? That's all it was at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. All right, moving on from that, going something a bit. Well, we bit mentioned more. China as well at some point. Maybe we can go to that, and then maybe we can go. No, actually, why don't we just jump over to the states and the uh, kind of Mueller? I'm not going to call them revelations and the continued push for impeachment. Um, because I, li- I was listening to a couple of podcasts and they made a good point, which I think we probably knew, but we probably haven't spoken about before. And so Nancy Pelosi is obviously the voice against Trump, but she is also the voice of saying, guys, there's not really much point in us impeaching him here. We could spend our time doing other things. Um, now, I'm inclined to agree with her here, but a couple of points have been raised, and she even raised at a point in time when she was making a statement for this, and I think it is something that probably the wider world and a lot of Americans don't realise, that impeachment doesn't get rid of him. Yeah, no. means he needs to stand trial for the Senate. And to be honest, based on the findings of the Mueller report, and Mueller coming out and saying kind of indirectly saying well i because because he can't hold any indictments against a, a sitting president that's that's part of the, the special counsel's limits shall we say um but everybody's looking at his word and to say well he's telling you to go and chase impeachment because it can be proven in court i don't think that you can find sufficient evidence to say that there was enough wrongdoing for an impeachment to lead for him being found guilty at the Senate. So I do think Nancy Pelosi is right. This is a waste of time and the Democrats should focus on something else. But I do also think that most people probably think, well, if he's impeached, that means the day that that's in, that that's the day that he walks out of the White House. And that's not how it works, people. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I don't think people understand that. People don't understand that Bill Clinton was impeached and he still, he still, he still um, serves the rest of his term. To be he was for perjury, wasn't he? Yeah, which is worse. Perjury, yeah. I know, I know, I know. People don't realise that. Um, I just find, I just find the whole impeachment thing. I find the whole. So the Mueller report is always is, is still controversial in the sense that it has come out. You read it in detail, in more detail. Um, there does seem to be some some sort of obstruction, obstruction of the investigation by Trump. And um, yeah, you could go out to try and impeach him for that because of a number of lawyers, a number of state. Prosecutors have come out and said that if you, when you read the full 411-page um, document, that um, it, you can conclude that Trump did try to obstruct the investigation, which is against the law, which can then lead to him being impeached. However, I think to myself, why can't these Democrats just focus on the policies here and beat him? You got one year. If you give him, if you give him 18, um, 18 months, if you if you get a good candidate and and that can challenge him, you can beat him. He's not, he's not, is this thing that you're focusing on, on trying to get him impeached all the time, kind of, and it kind of like sways people because you make his base 
you make his base become stronger because the people then start they start thinking it's they start becoming paranoid and then they're trying to get him out by all means and therefore um, you don't try and get him out by legal like the, the normal way of like being in an election try and get him out by impeachment and therefore you strengthen his base because people like start rallying rallying behind him. I just don't understand why the Democrats can't get a candidate and say, okay, cool, mate, what we'll do, we're just going to focus, we're going to get a candidate that's good on, that's good on the policy, then we're going to beat Trump, we're going to destroy Trump on the policy. But if you look at all the candidates, none of the candidates so far um, give me any 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 hope that they can beat him. Not even Biden, I don't think Biden can Well, beat Biden's him. not going to beat him, but he's their kind of leading candidate at the moment, which is... I think Kamala Harris was caught this week in, um, she was given a talk and somebody jumped up on stage and kind of took the mic off her and she was a bit, she didn't really know how to handle her. And then eventually somebody from a security guard jumped up and then she was kind of walked away. And that, that from an optics perspective is not what you want to see from somebody who's supposed to be taken up, um, candidacy for the most powerful position in the world. So that doesn't help her. Elizabeth Warren, did you see her on the breakfast show? Um, I didn't watch all of her, but she was being put to task on her claims of, um, a native Indian background saying well it's what my it's what my family told me um, okay so <laughs> you told people that you were of a different heritage because it's what your family told that's your argument because if you're going to have a whole lot more to deal with when you become if you were to become the president of the United States right and what you're going to do turn around and say well that's what my people told me and I believe them like she's useless she is a career politician who really has experience of doing nothing um, just a lot of talk and bluster so, yeah I I agree with you there. That, and this is what we said before, right? They're not focusing on the issue, which is to win the next election. And this is why I feel like they're walking themselves into Trump's second term without him having to actually try at the moment, which is yeah. ridiculous because he's that bad, but you're not, you're not giving him... He, he's not even having to put any effort in. If you look at the expense being put on their campaigns um, and their budgets, he's spending much less than them because they're not even forcing him to, to spend. It's, it, it, it's a shocking state of affairs that they have in themselves. But um, yeah, and I think that bringing Biden in won't really help. I, until we move away from this bringing fucking near your deathbed generation people in to rule the world, I don't think it's, it's going to change. Right, we kind of took a step forward with Obama and now we're going back to the old school again. And yeah, I don't, I don't hold out much hope for the, the Democrats, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, but if you look, but if, from that, from, from that side looking in, if you look at America, you look at the economy and everything, and, and, and it's growing and growing and growing. And it's like, I know people say it's Obama's, um, Obama's policies that led to, led to growth in America. But I, I also give Trump the credit that a lot of presidents that come in, they always try to put their own stamp on the economy and then, and, and then end up fucking it up. And he hasn't done that because he can't get anything for past three. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, therefore, he's benefited by being an idiot. Um, because you can't push anything through. the polarised views, right? And that will be, even yeah. if he gets into the second term, that won't change. The Democrats won't get on side with him. He won't back down. And all it means is you're going to have another couple of years of stalemate where nothing gets yeah. done and we just see yeah. tweet wars. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. All right, staying, staying with America, moving on to China. Um, so, yeah, so in the time where we've been off, um, the Huawei things, the Hawaii, how do you say it? How do you say it? Huawei. Huawei, yeah. So I, mean, I don't know why I'm saying well, I know I say Huawei. Huawei things been getting worse and worse. You know, before, so early in, the, like when it first happened, um, people thought it was, it was initially a response to the Chinese tariffs. Because I, because I, I know you said that in the group as well. But I, I my my counter argument to that is that yes, it is part of the tariffs, the Chinese tariff stuff. 
However, it's not it's not affecting all Chinese companies, and I, and and the reason why I I lose that is because of companies such as OnePlus and Oppo and all the other, all those other Chinese manufacturers that are um, tech manufacturers they haven't been hit by this, haven't been hit by Google or and by Google, by Google saying they're not going to support their phones anymore, or um, or um, Microsoft coming out and saying that they're not going to help, they're not going to support um, um, Huawei's um, laptops anymore, or. Or Facebook now coming out and saying that the new, the new um, Huawei phones won't get Facebook updates and WhatsApp won't get a new WhatsApp updates. So I think, yes, it's a tariff war. But I also think it's a tech war in the sense that um, Huawei threatens the big companies. It threatens Apple. It threatens Facebook. It threatens all these big companies because they're, they're the ones that are signing. They signed a deal in the UK to develop our 5G network. That's why um, the, our 5G network, most of it's. It's been developed by Huawei, and um, now Huawei signed a, fight, signed a deal in Russia to develop their 5G network. So you see, it's, it kind of feels like a tech war in the sense, an international tech, international tech war where America feed China. And um, um, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that I, I think I put that this was linked to the tariff, tariffs with China, but not, not in in that manner. Maybe I misworded how I put it in the group. I can't remember what I said now. Um, but this is not. This is for me. This is neither a tech war nor a tariff war. This is an economic war. Now China are going to be an economic powerhouse, and the rest of the world don't want that to happen. And the US specifically don't want that to happen. Hence, they're finding whichever ways they can to hold them back. So it's connected to the tariffs, from my mind, in as much as any way to stop China's growth is interconnected as the same kind of economic battle that, that I see being the wider issue here, not uh, okay. individuals. Um, that, that Just to clarify my, my view on that. Sorry, I yeah. interrupted there. I'll share my other thoughts on that. <laughs> That's all right. No, but what, what from, I think from my, my, my view is that you can't stop, you can't stop, uh, you can't stop change, can you? You can't stop. You could try to, but eventually, effectively, eventually what will happen is that their um, Ch- Chinese, um, all the resources, their, all their efficiencies will come through, and they eventually will, 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 will take America. It's, it's, it's supposed to happen. It's supposed to happen in twenty twelve. In twenty twelve, like if you if you read books in like nineteen ninety nine, it was oh, twenty twelve. Chinese China will become the biggest economy in the world, and America's halted it. But you can't keep slowing it down. Eventually, they eventually they'll become more efficient than America. They'll become more. Um, they they'll um, educate. Uh, education technology. All that they'll, they'll, they will catch up to America and eventually they will take them. So all this trying to slow them down, it's kind of fruit, fruitless <laughs> in my eyes. I can't see it happening. Well, I mean, I I take a slightly different view. To, I, I get what you're saying. You can't stop change, but I also there seems to be a, a I don't know whether it's an accidental or a deliberate ignorance to how China is run. So when because when this came out and everybody was looking at it like oh yeah they they're trying to hold our way down guys you're not paying attention to the bigger picture here. Now and I put uh, I put um, a story in that you probably didn't get a chance to read because I only put it in this morning. Um but there are a couple of things to this. Everybody is going away from helping letting um China work with well Huawei work with their implementing their 5g networks now this is not because we've got anything against huawei this is because what they're saying is Huawei are saying we're not related to the um chinese government and we won't spy on you now that's what they're saying right then you see that their chairman with relation to the um i think it had, yeah the deal was so the deal with russia right the deal was agreed as china's president xi jinping began a three-day visit to russia now 
I'm sorry, guys, but at least from an outside optics perspective, you're telling me that you're not related to the Chinese government. That's why you won't spy on us, right? Then you've just gone to sign a deal with Russia. Russia, who will obviously exploit this opportunity, right, to try and get hold of everybody else. Russia, who are an authoritarian-run state, whether they want to make it look like that from the outside or not, we really know how it works. China, authoritarian-run state, and then you sign this deal when the president t- turns up. And then I'm supposed to be fucking stupid enough to not question it and say, well, hold on. This pretty much looks like there is government connections or at least a nudge, nudge, wink, wink going on between the government and other countries to get this deal in place. Right. And then when you look at how th- the reason that people push back on this is because when China let businesses in, they're like, right, if you're doing business in our country then we're gaining access we're doing whatever we can to gain access to your ip right and this is why people don't like doing business with china because they're like the way that you manage stuff you say we can take your stuff but you can't have any of our stuff now nobody wants to pay attention to this and then when you look at how china is run there's something i put in here where there was a guy who posted something up um on the celebrations in Tiananmen square from the uh what was it 1989 I think it was when they had the People's Liberation Army in there. Um, yeah. So he was posting these pictures up, and there were people who were asking him what these pictures are about. Now, the youth in China aren't really clear on what happened back then. Now, this is a result of China manipulating what can be consumed by the people who live there. Now, this guy, consequently, was kicked off this WeChat app that we have. Now, this WeChat app, just to be clear, I mean, it's a matter of fact, um, it, it has, it's a site for social interaction, a form of currency, a dating app, a tool for sporting teams, and delivering news, Twitter, Facebook, Google Maps, Tinder, and Apple Pay all rolled into one, right? So basically, everybody in China uses this. Now, mm-hmm. he was immediately kicked off this because he was apparently... Spreading this WeChat account has been suspended of spreading malicious rumors and has been temporarily blocked. Okay, then mm-hmm. to re-sign into this and get his account back to unblock it, it said a face print is required for security purposes. Now this app is used by everybody in China and anybody who speaks out against China in any small way, even if it's retelling the past as it actually happened historically, is being kicked off and saying we need to capture your face on there. Now. This is the kind of state that I'm supposed to feel fucking sorry for. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't in any way whatsoever. And none of the news outlets seem to really take this approach and hammer it home to the wider population. That this isn't. If we're going to talk about tariffs against China, if we're going to talk about Huawei being held back, it keeps being reported in a way which, for me, seems to be, if I'm going to have to pick one of two ways, seems to be going down the side of this where there's supposed to be a bit of sympathy for them. And I'm like, guys... If you look into the deeper workings of China, just even at a top level, you will see that actually it's a pretty insidious way that they run their country and they manipulate their people that live there. So this is why I'm like the tariffs. I I understand the approach that the other countries are taking, especially when it comes to giving access to a a technology infrastructure that they've got. And the fact that they've just gone to sign with Russia now is, is not, I mean, it's badly needed by Huawei, but it's not going to convince any of the countries who currently didn't want to work on 5G um, to, to sign with them. But it is going to force the race to go faster, right? Because you can't afford to have China working on 5G and Russia working on 5G and everybody sitting further behind. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's really, that, yeah, I heard that. I find that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. All right, well, I'm staying with tech. So I know you haven't posted a story in there, but it's kind of been it's been a big story on YouTube. Please, have you heard about it? The block apocalypse. Sorry, 
on Joe Rogan and the rest of it. It's all... It's, it's the second coming. It's, they do this every so often, so it's not... I don't know if you want to share the details on it, but yeah, I, I know about it because I picked it up on podcasts. All right, so, so um, Dwarf's Apocalypse is... So every couple of years, YouTube um, changes their, um, their policies and... Um, and how people get monetized and what they can post and what they can't post for advertisers and stuff. And this week there was a big argument between uh, Hamza Vox, who's a Vox um, reporter, and Stephen Crowder, who's a, a comedian, podcaster. And I think Stephen Crowder came out and called, um, I think, I think he came out and insulted. Um, they call him Hamza, a, little, a little queer Mexican or something. A little, queer, little, little queer Mexican, something like that. And then, and then a lot of people that watched the video went on, went and started personally attacking, not not physically, but just on, on social media, started attacking, attacking um, Hamza's page. Who then went to YouTube and begged them to ban Crowder. And then the YouTube in response um, went on and defunded and demonetized um, Crowder's video, which then. Um, got the internet and uproar because we were like wow youtube are doing this again and then um, youtube then subsequently said to youtube subsequently came back and said that they would they reviewed it and they would re they would re-monetize the video if crowder removes the link to selling the t-shirt on the video of hamza however if it brings up the interesting argument about we've been saying this about facebook and and now youtube are doing it are these is youtube a platform where people can just post videos or is YouTube a publisher when they can pick and choose who they want to monetize or not? And that's the, and that's and that's why I was doing that. I don't, I don't, I don't care about Hamster and Crowder. That doesn't matter. I don't care. I don't even care about Vox Apocalypse. I care more about the idea that these big um, tech companies, such as um, such as Google, such as Google, uh, which on which on YouTube, Facebook, um, are are these companies moving towards becoming publishers? I'm coming utilities, and therefore, um, therefore, therefore, um, is it time for us to change how we use how we use these um, sites? I I sometimes think to myself, <laughs> I, I, I I I'm trying to think to myself uh, how important is this because if there are other apps out there, people are really moving to other platforms apart from YouTube and Facebook and other apps to like promote their work. However, YouTube by far is the biggest. Um, video access and video publishing site out there, isn't it? So if you get demonetized, there you can you can kind of lose a big a big a big amount of your income if you're a YouTuber. So it kind of brings that uh, it kind of brings the question: um, Are these companies are is, is YouTube just a platform which public is YouTube is a platform that lets people upload videos, or is it a publisher which then picks and chooses what can be posted on their website on their on their platform? So if that's, that's I just find it interesting. Well, well, it's a roundabout conversation on all the social media platforms, right? I think they won't say that they're a publisher. The reason that I, I think that they're both nowadays, and it's not by intention of them wanting to do it. And why have they become both? Because human beings are broken. Um, <laughs> it's my view. Not not all of us, um, but in general, people are are broken, right? They they use this platform because a lot of people sit at home all day, and, and literally their spare time is spent 
trying to find reasons to troll on people online. And this is, I'm talking about the people who go into the fucking hell mosh pit of comments and yeah. some of the disgusting stuff that gets said, right? But that's where they find their, their entertainment and their leisure. Um, there will always be, look, people always talk out against other, other people. Now, if you take this away from YouTube, you, you get racial, homophobic, religious slurs, which went on outside of um, the internet. And then the internet has been created and they use the internet as a platform. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I'm saying it's a traditionally, it's a historically broken trend that we manifest as humans, right? It's just what we do. Um, we create the whatever tribes that we want to follow and we go against the other ones. You see it you see it as a perfect depiction on what goes on in the political spectrum over in the US. It's a perfect example of it. But you go into Twitter and you, put, you see some of the comments that people put back to some of the tweets that are put out there. And it's because... People get so triggered by anything that's said nowadays. Now, I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. However, because people get triggered in the manner that they do, then the people who manage these platforms are being forced to have to take a position. Now, YouTube are trying to take a middle ground here by saying, we're not going to remove him, we're going to demonetize him. Because if they remove him, then they are saying, he's a, um, they are saying right, we're pretty much saying that we are a publisher here and we will make, we will dictate what goes out there and what doesn't. And if they let him go, then they're saying, actually, we're allowing hate speech, as people will put it nowadays, new terms which we like to come up with on an hourly basis, it seems. Um, this one is not an hourly basis one. This is, we created like last year or something. Um, but if they don't do something to him, then they'll be told, well, you're just letting people run free reign on your, your platform. So whether they like it or not, I think they're in a position where they have to, if they take a reflective look on themselves, whatever their intended purpose was originally, because of the people and the way that they use it, they are now fundamentally both, that you can't, you can't get away from that. Because when you have Facebook being used by people to stream them going to shoot up a mosque, well, that's not Facebook's fault. That is the person who walked into the mosque and shot them, right? But Facebook are a platform. And the only way to get rid of this is to switch off the internet, which we're not going to do. Um, so my feeling is, and Joe Rogan comes up with this all the time, but we don't really know how to deal with the internet. And we often forget it's like 20 years old. And social media is like 10 years old. And we just haven't learned how to deal with it properly yet, not in a mature enough manner. And because of that, whatever these platforms originally wanted to be, they, they can't be that unless they get rid of the code 11, as we used to call it at work, which is basically the thing between the chair and the computer is broken or yeah. the thing between the floor and the phone is broken now. And that's us. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> so we're all way around it, right? It's <laughs> you get rid of one platform they'll just go to the other one. And people like Elizabeth Warren saying, are oh, they own a monopoly and we need to break this up. Fuck off. One, you can't do that. Two, you're missing the point of the problem. Um, but yeah, again, we, we're not looking at the fundamentally. The problem here is the social unrest between different parts of the population, different demographics and background, different um, sexualities, different types of belief. Right. That, that's what's fundamentally broken here, that we can't find a way to get on. And it's only being magnified by the platforms that get used. If we focus on the platforms, then we're still not focusing on the root cause of the issue. Yeah, I agree. I, I do agree with you. Um, all right, staying on. Um, moving on. So, I know you've got to the UK. Uh, so, the first thing I want to talk about in the UK is the Mickey Mouse University degree. So, the, the, a foreign student, a, a foreign student managed to sue a university for over exaggerating the prospects of her career, and <laughs> she won sixty thousand sixty thousand pounds. Um, I find this story a bit hilarious. 
and she didn't uh, I think the really she did was business strategy and it said and she sued them because she felt that they overstated their uh, links to business and she got a first class degree and um she it kind of like it's for she felt she was she's student for it's false advertisement effectively that I've done everything right and you and I didn't get anything that you told me I was gonna get from this and therefore um therefore I'm suing you. Well, so the, the Anglia Ruskin University, because I find it, I, t- to be honest, as much as I find it uh, humorous, I find it a Mickey Mouse case anyway, and, and I don't agree with this. So the Anglia Ruskin University, they basically said, look, our solicitors have said that they want to reach a settlement here. We don't agree with it. And frankly, I'm in their court. Who the fuck does this girl think she is to blame somebody else because she didn't do the fucking research for the degree that she signed up for? I'm sorry. I hate to be blunt there, but you can't come over. Right, it's, it's your job. If you want to go to university, I didn't go to university personally, so I go, I'm, I'm limited to how much I can speak. But if I was going to go to university, then I would do the research into exactly what I want to get out of that. Now, if you bought in to what was being asked and you didn't make the most out. I'm sure that there are people who have got the same degree as her who have gone on to get uh, a profession in business. And what what kind of precedence are we setting if you're saying that if I don't come out of my degree with getting huge job prospects, then I'm going to go and sue you? I think that this will probably fall under the radar. Um, yeah. But the savvy people who are thinking about it will now go, well, hold on, actually, I can go and do a degree now. And all I need to do is pick out little points in their prospectus that I don't agree with. And I can take them to court. And I, I think that this is embarrassing for this woman. She, she has no right, in my opinion, to be coming out saying this is a Mickey Mouse degree. You sat through the whole fucking degree, love. Like, yeah, no and now you're coming no out and saying it's Mickey Mouse go. afterwards. Yeah, no one forced to go there either. No one forced to go to that university. You're going to go to university. Um, no one said that you have to go to the university, and and therefore, and also there's also self agency. After you've got your degree, you have to go out there and make things happen for yourself. You can't just get a degree and sit there and hope, hope for the best. But, yeah, this is this is just a fucking mollycoddled society to me. Like literally, I've gone to university, so I have a right to something now. You don't have a right to fuck all. Like this really <laughs> just it aggravated me that somebody can be so egregious in their 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 kind of approach to this. I just you don't have a right for anything out here. You go and get educated because you chose to, and you use that knowledge to go and make the most of it. It's it's not the it's not the university's responsibility to even if it is in their prospectus to say that you all it takes right if if that prospectus promises that you could have a lucrative career and be connected to certain businesses, all it takes is not point not one percent of the people who take that course to make that connection for those claims to be true. It doesn't mean it has to work for everybody, but it means if it works for one, then it is possible that that bullet can deliver. Now, I'd like to think that there's going to be more than 0.01% that come out of this, right? But the bottom line is, unless nobody who's ever taken this course has gone on to make a, a career for themselves, then the approach that she's taken here has no legitimacy to her. And I'm, I don't blame the university for saying we're not backing down on this. Um, I think it's that the insurers really shouldn't have caved on this one for me. I don't believe that she deserves 60K and basically a free degree because I'm not, my understanding is she's not going to lose her degree now that she's got it. Yeah. She's just going to get back all the costs for it. Yeah. Uh, saying on um, the UK, so UK um, this week, um, Bank, bank old draft fees in major shakeup. So there, there's plans to um, change the rule, make old draft simpler, fair and easy to manage in the UK to the financial regulator. 
So I thought he, I thought he brought this in earlier, um, but it's, the FCA have brought in the new rules. We start by April twenty twenty. Um, in 2017, bank made up 2.4 billion from overdrafts, which is 30 percent alone coming from unarranged overdrafts. Um, so the, the, the research showed that uh, age between 35 to 44 most likely to have some sort some form of overdraft. About 10 percent of all 18 to 24 year olds have CT that overdraft limit in the previous 12 months. Um, it, yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm all for this. I think well, I'm also I'm also for financial literacy um, courses. I think a lot of times I don't sometimes I don't blame the banks. I blame the individuals for not understanding. Maybe the banks if the banks thought we're not making the the literature around financial financial um, financial services very clear because I don't think a lot of people understand what they're getting into when they get into things like the APR stuff. Just does not is not very clear. Like if someone says to you um, you're going to get for 2.4 percent uh, per annum APR, you don't actually understand what it actually means. Most people don't actually understand what that means at all. They 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 take it very much. Oh, 2.4 is very tight. It's a very small percent, but they don't actually understand what that means. Um, so I think maybe the government may have may look at changing the laws, but also forcing banks to bring up very simplified um, understand simplified um, documentation that lets people understand um, fat understand. Um, financial uh, literature in a very basic under, basic level because i think a lot of times adults don't people don't work in finances people don't work with money people don't that are financially illiterate do not understand what they're getting themselves into because it just sounds sometimes the deals that banks offer you especially in old draft sound too sound too good to be true yeah i kind of agree there i think it's um there is a degree of this where banks are exploiting right you can't argue that some of the charges on overdrafts were extortionate yeah. um uh, the only, the only, the only counter I fought to this is they now risk going to the other end of the spectrum where they make it so easy that people just go into their overdrafts all the time. So I do agree. The only way to to counter that is to make sure that there's some kind of educational path in there. But this comes down to simple things that don't exist in school syllabuses, right? Which could easily be incorporated in there to prepare kids for life rather than just passing exams. But that's a, I think that one's been pounded for many years now, and nobody seems to be listening. Yeah. And then staying on, um, so staying on like tech, um, the US now demands social media info from visa applicants. So now all visa applicants will have to submit a social media, social media name, email address, and phone numbers. This is a lot like Big Brother. Uh, well, I, I think that this is, I, I think this is a scare tactic anyway, because I don't think, well, I don't think it's like Big Brother because you can get all this information anyway. Um, it is saying, I think what it is saying is how it, it's not, it's not manageable for me. So basically all, what, what this is going to allow them to do is they already will have names or backgrounds, which pop up as being potential dangers that they need to investigate. Right. This means that they can now trawl back through social media and they can use any minor thing that you did to say, this is the reason we're not letting you in. But the reality for me is I feel like this is a way for them to try and curb the number of visa applications because logistically it's not achievable um, unless you're only handpicking out a few names that pop up and list this then you can't be vetting all of the visa applications that come through to check their social media background it's just it's not it's not logistically possible you don't have enough people um, mm -hmm. so I'm suspecting maybe this is a bit of a 
a scare tactic, but I also suspect it will be used for some people they want to find reasons to not let them in, i.e. people who come from certain countries, to be able to then link back to something and say, oh, yeah, actually, we're not indiscriminately not letting you in because you come from this background or this religion. This is the reason we're not letting you in. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it will make it difficult for certain people who already find it hard to get in the US, more difficult. Um, but I also don't think that it's something that, in practice can really be implemented at a wide scale. Um, but I don't think it's any more Big Brother than what already exists, right? A Big Brother yeah. society only exists because we allow ourselves to be, the only way to get off that is to get yourself off the grid, right? Um, yeah. Which a lot of people won't do because it makes your life a bit well, less efficient, shall we say. But going into we're, this, well, like, we're not as far as China are. <laughs> going into this, like, um, so we've, we've both watched the new Black Mirror and I think on... Uh, what I found interesting about Black Mirror on uh, episode two or season five was um, the amount of data they had on it. They had they could they were able to get they were they were able to get the data faster than the CIA. They were able to get the data faster than, than I mean data faster than the FBI. Able to get, get able to get the data faster than the um, than um, the police because they, they had all the backstory. So they, they knew everything. <laughs> so because they were able to do that, they were able, they, they were they were feeding the, the, the police and the FBI information because they knew they knew everything. They knew the backstory for everything, which was um, which was I found yeah. Really but the way yeah, but the way that they I I know what I know what they were trying to get at. What should be more of a concern is does a god mode, what what would be more of a question of morality is does a god mode exist? Um, but that's it. <laughs> That more highlighted the fucking technical illiteracy of the UK police, right, more than anything else, because everybody knows nowadays that that was slightly unrealistic in the way that they depicted that, because we all know nowadays that any police investigation does start with people trawling people's social media now. Um, That is just the way that it works. But that is part of the the world we live in, right? When you post your life online, then it's not difficult for people to be able to find your prior misgivings or, or any background stories that, that lead up to you. Um, but yeah, we can touch on Black Mirror at the, at the end of the show without trying to give any spoilers. <laughs> uh, and then, um, okay. I think so, it's the only, only the Apple story left, isn't it? Uh, and Jay-Z. So just do Jay-Z quickly. Jay-Z um, became the world's first hip-hop billionaire. People keep saying that Dre was actually a billionaire. He, I think he made about 800 million from... Um, the sale of Beats to um, to Apple when they when when Apple bought Beats and uh, I think he bought a couple of billion and he made like eight hundred million from it. So he didn't actually become a billionaire. The Jay Z become hip hop's first billionaire this week. Forbes has released the details and the, the surprising thing most of his money doesn't come from doesn't come from um, from music. He makes like one hundred fifty million only one hundred fifty million of 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 his wealth comes from music. The majority of his money. Majority of his, his wealth comes from um, comes from Apple, so <laughs> from ownership of Apple and uh, Apple distribution um, and arts and artwork. Most a lot of his money doesn't come from uh, like uh, like 150 million comes from his music and his back catalog. 110, 110 million of that comes from um, 110 million also comes from Tidal, but the majority of his money comes from advertisement and. Um, and ownership of um, alcohol and beverage alcohol companies, so that's how you, that's how he's become a billionaire. So um, yeah, salute salute Jay Z. I don't care. Jay Z can give me a couple of million. <laughs> let, let, me, <laughs> let, let, let me a thousand pounds or let, let me fifty thousand pounds. All right, moving on. Um, Apple dissolves iTunes into new apps. 
can, can you give me a brief update on this? Because I, I haven't I had time to look at this. Story. Well, so Apple done their, their new release. I mean, this doesn't this doesn't surprise me too much. They're getting rid of iTunes, and it's just going to become Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, and Apple TV. Uh, that kind of makes sense. Um, but then they were doing that. This was a, the, so obviously they were announcing a few new things that they've got. So the new iOS 13. It's weird how everybody's so in in love with dark modes nowadays, right? Um, so the new iOS, you'll be able to have dark mode, which seems to be. I mean, a lot of people set their apps to this anyway. Um, there's new emojis that come out. There's a couple of good, interesting features which did come out, which are useful. So the Find My iPhone. I don't really use it. I've never used the Find My Friends app, but the Find My iPhone one can now locate your Apple device when it's offline, which is is a pretty handy feature because I remember the only time I ever had to use it, I was rapidly trying to use it to locate my phone before the battery died. Um, and obviously, the first thing that people do who steal your device is take um is turn it off but that said i still think that surely it can only locate it down to the last time it sent out a signal so it can it can tell i assume it can tell you where it is at the last point of time was turned off but it didn't even wasn't able to do that previously um but one of the things which is a whopper so they've, they've released new mac um pro right it will launch in autumn with prices starting from five thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars Wow! Yeah, I know. I mean, it's got a 28 core Intel processor and a 6K Retina display, right? So it's 40 percent larger than the current iMac screen. But wow, <laughs> six grand! Like, yeah, it's got like it's like, it's like, it's like 12 terabyte hard, 12 terabyte hard drive. Yeah, they're, they're certainly going all in on the approach of saying, "Look, we're going to put, we're going to make the Mac Pro just." The, the one thing, we're not trying to sell masses of it, we're just trying to make money on each individual uh, one of them that we sell. But yeah, this, wow, that's, that's a lot of money for a, <laughs> a Mac Pro. But yeah, there was a few, to be honest, they released quite a few, a few, few things in that. And obviously, you're not an Apple user. Um, anybody yeah. trying to watch, they're trying to make that a bit more distinct. So there are apps that you can get on there, which you can't get on iPhone, where previously... Your, your Apple Watch was kind of, I mean, I never bought an Apple Watch because I looked at it. I was like, well, it's so intertwined with the phone. It's like you don't serve the purpose having both, but they're starting to make it more of its own thing, um, which I think will benefit it because people will be able to see the value of having both rather than just having a, a duplicate of phone on their wrist, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. And it looks like they're trying to improve their maps as well, which for any app user, iPhone users is easier because obviously it's easier for me to go to my map app than having to download a different one. But yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the release of their whopping Mac Pro. Maybe they felt like they had to make all of these additions to the iOS just to justify this whopping price cap that they've put on the new Mac Pro. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, that and it's got to have that. It's got to have like it's got called a cheese grater because it because of it's so powerful. Has to have all those ventilation holes in it so it can actually work without actually. But I mean, here, <laughs> so it's really interesting. I want a Mac. That's my next. I think that's my next big purchase of Mac. <laughs> I might switch to. I might. I, I don't feel I'll switch to Team Apple. I don't know. You still there? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, technical. <laughs> I don't know. It sounded like you dropped your phone. <laughs> still there, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah. I, 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 I think I will um, eventually get a Mac because for, for, for I, I do photography and for, for someone else's photography, Mac's just the best. It's, it's the best. It works the best. And most creatives will use Apple Mac anyway. So I think I'll switch to that. 
Oh, I probably won't get this. I probably haven't got enough money to get the six thousand pound one. <laughs> pretty, arguably, I don't think you need something that powerful to be fair. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Just a dance. Oh yeah, I got six thousand pounds. How much? How much? Well, going off your six thousand pounds. It's crazy. <laughs> All right. So, what have you read this week? Or what, uh, what have you been reading? Oh, you've been reading a lot, actually. <laughs> so, so anyone that doesn't know or doesn't follow Ben on social media, he's been reading quite a lot and he's asking quite a lot of uh, existential questions. And um, some of the questions he asks are quite difficult to actually answer. <laughs> but um, So, yeah. Ben, Not many people bother answering, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, quite a lot. Uh, I don't so, yeah. know, actually, from the last time around. I, so I, I think... Since last time I listened to the Operation Paperclip, I think maybe I'd started that last time. I've that is like that's a bit mind blowing to be honest. The amount of Nazi scientists that the US took in, um, even to the point of would they even have run the space race without them? Um, but that, that was one of the questions I asked actually to what point is it morally objectionable to do this kind of practice? Because if they didn't do it, then their technical advances would have been pushed back years. But to see the way and manner that they went about it and the scale that they went out about it at and the scientists that they took, which not even were, not even like they were part of the Nazi party, were senior members of the Nazi party and then taken over to work for the US. I'm like, that is kind of... Because I didn't know about that until the Joe Rogan podcast. So reading that book was kind of cool. Um, I did read, uh, listen to Daniel Dennett's Consciousness Explained. I think it's one of my least liked books I've ever listened to. Um, yeah. And I was really expecting it to be good, but it didn't explain consciousness. It, it basically explained the science behind, behind all of our forms of perception. And that, for me, my ability to be able to look out the window and see the, the, the clouds in the sky or the fact that the sky looks blue to me or how I hear a sound coming from far away and identifying what side of the phone. These are just signs of perception. These are not, I mean, they help to form your consciousness, but they are not my consciousness being. I was expecting him to try and define what it is that makes something conscious and doesn't. And all he seemed to do is talk about all the ways that we perceive different things in the world and say and wrap them up and say okay so now i've told you everything that you perceive and i'm going to call that consciousness explained i just found that yeah I, maybe it just came across as false advertising to me but after 18 hours of it because i refused to back down on it but <laughs> it was not I, I didn't enjoy that um are you, you going to see the offer <laughs> well, now, well the thing is daniel dennett as well because he's one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse and um, well, not of the apocalypse, but <laughs> uh, Richard Dawkins gave it a good review as well. I just didn't, I didn't like it. Maybe it was I was expecting something different. So, yeah, I wasn't a fan of that. But um, I heard on Sam Harris's podcast this week that his wife has just uh, released a book called Conscious um, on this exact topic. It's not an audio book, unfortunately, or at least not at the moment. So it sounds like I'll have to buy that one. Um, but that might be interesting. Uh, I did read uh, or listen to, I keep saying read, but I listened to many all of these, uh, Fingerprints of the Gods as well. Um, that one, to add to the Lost Civilization one from Graham Hancock, I, I think I like this one more because it's older than America before. Maybe he was less maybe arrogant in his approach. He does get to points where he still goes, uh, it stands to reason that this can be the only answer. But there are things that you look at and you're just like, I don't know how to explain. I, there is no way to explain this with at least suggesting 
or actively wanting to be open to the idea that there is some lost fountain of knowledge which we don't have access to. Now, whether that came in the form of an ancient civilization or an advanced civilization, we don't know. But nonetheless, there are some shared pieces of information, some knowledge. There's a map, the Perry Reese map, that they made in 1513, which accurately yeah. maps out the continent. I'm like, how the fuck do you do that? And it's the, the similarities between... After you get out of suggesting that aliens created the pyramids, right? When you start looking at, right, how did they create the pyramids? And how did they manage to do that in Peru and Mexico, where there weren't even a shared civilization, or supposedly wasn't? How, how does that come about without yeah. sort of these kind of questions? That, I think what's frustrating about stuff like this is when you come to like physics and science, like there's some stuff that, yeah, we probably just won't ever know. Um, but it doesn't stop you from doing experiments and stuff to find it out. But something that is, is lost and gone. You just can never know. Um, and I think he alludes to when uh, the, the Spanish conquests kind of tore through Peru and parts of South America and did away with <clears throat> a lot of their historical documents. Um, that is kind of, that's almost like a, a crime to humanity, at least from a historical perspective. But yeah, I did actually quite enjoy that one. Um, and then there was What We Cannot Know, I listened to. That one was just a range of different stuff from physics to consciousness, but kind of touched on too many things I read before so I didn't enjoy that that much and then I'm currently listening to Our Mathematical Universe by Max Tegmark which that is pretty fucking dope to be fair starts going into the mathematics and physics behind uh, the multiverse which is hard not to argue actually when he looks at the principles of it and the fact that everything fundamentally in the universe boils down to a mathematical structure which again it's kind of hard when he puts it across. It sounds outlandish, but if you it, if you think about it closely, then it's not it's not inconceivable. Like everything can be broken if if we remove all of the the baggage. I think as he refers to it, which is our reference from a descriptive perspective. So we call it something. I think he used the example of a star, but there are going to be other people in the world who refer to a star by a different language, right? It's actually just yeah. like a cluster of, of molecules and gases, right? But it's easier to call it a star now. But if yeah. you remove our descriptors for it then there are equations to answer all of this. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 it's interesting. I, I am enjoying this one. I think that's all that I've listened to, to be honest. Okay. And, and, and like we said earlier in the podcast, we both watched um, both watched Black Mirror. I watched it on the first day they were out, to be sure. <laughs> I, I watched, I, watched um, I, forgot, I actually forgot it was out. So when I, told me I was out. ready to be honest, I saw the trailer for it and I looked at the trailer and I was like, yeah, it looks pretty dope. But I didn't realize when I saw the trailer, I thought, oh, it's going to be out in a few months. I didn't realize it was coming out like the week after. So when it popped yeah. up on my notification, I was like, boom, even made. <laughs> what did you make? Obviously, I can't go into the details of it too much because people probably haven't had a chance to watch it. It's a bit of a spoiler. But what do you make of it? Um, it's more like a social commentary. Like he's, he keeps doing them. Uh, this one, I felt like... Um, well, I found episode one really strange. I, I, I understood it. I, I think episode something... one, honestly speaking, a bit of a tough watch. Like, <laughs> not yeah, because it was. I mean, it was yeah, it was it was weird. It's hard to explain without going into it. But I didn't really. There were points of it where I was like, I don't know. It, it was bizarre. I got what he was trying to highlight out from it. Um, but I found it very bizarre. But I have to say, what I, I read a review and they rated the second one as the weakest of the three. But yeah. 
me I'm having watched awesome. Black Mirror all the way through, I found that to be the most Black Mirror-esque because yeah. Yeah. it's a bit more gritty and it wasn't so touched up and Hollywoodized. Um, so I actually yeah. like that one, the best of the three. And actually, I think as far as uh, social commentary goes on, the, the fundamentals of what Black Mirror is based on and taking a look at technology, I, I, I enjoyed that one the most, I think. But <clears throat> I'll tell you what I will say. The third one, I was talking to my girlfriend and she said, um, oh, I can't believe Miley Cyrus is in one. And so I was watching it. I was halfway through it. And I was like, the Miley Cyrus episode is dead. And then we got to the end of it. And I was like, nah, I'm revoking that. I'm taking this, this episode's dope because yeah. I thought that it went against how, um, wh- whether you like or not the fact of how much lucrative amounts of money they get paid, I thought it was a really good depiction of how artists get their lives trapped in and managed by production companies. I thought it had a dig at our addictions to Alexa and AI. I thought it had a dig about how dependent we come on Netflix and streaming media. Um, so the first half an hour to get into it, I was like, what the fuck is this episode trying to go for? And then like when it all comes together in the last half an hour, I found myself thinking, I wish they had another half an hour to go. Um, so that, that did redeem itself in the end. I quite enjoyed that one. I, I, like when I, when I, I think when I was watching it, I was like, uh, my Cyrus is going to be one of those ones where it's like, she's a singer and blah, blah. And at the end, I was like, yeah, this makes sense. And I, and I, and you kind of like, you kind of liked it. I think I like episode two the most. I, 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 I found episode one strange. I, I find it interesting because I don't think a lot of people talk about sexuality in a way which people actually like. We, like the psychology behind sexuality is very often ignored in our society. We don't talk about it. It's just one of the things that we just don't talk about. Like, so we, we tend to like let let people that are on the outskirts of sexuality dominate the conversation when it comes to that. And um, I found that I I found the um, story and the idea of um, mundaneness and the, the the banality of like existence of just being a family man and stuff like that. I'm not rooting for, I'm not rooting for anyone, but I found that commentary quite interesting because no one talks about it. People don't talk about, like, why... Um... <laughs> I'm not rooting for people. Yeah, we will do it in a later because I can share... Because without, huh? without being able to break, ruin it for people, it sounds like I don't get what that... My comments sound like I don't get what he's trying to get at, and I completely do, but without yeah, explaining... No more detail yeah. about it i can't fully explain my view so i would say look it's, it's definitely worth a watch it look it, it, it blew band snatch out of the water because that was pretty crap to be honest it was a good concept <laughs> but um it was lethargic this one i liked i would have liked to see maybe a five episode one um and a couple more gritty ones on it i will say the first one is there's something trippy about it like it's probably one of the most subtle ones um it's quite hard hitting in the point it's trying to get at but also it's very subtle in the way that it's filmed like there's nothing it's it, it, it's it, it's soft and emotive natured, which is very unlike Black Mirror. Black yeah. Mirror is usually let me take something which um, is a te- is a vulnerability that we have in society because of our dependencies on technology, and let me exploit that to cut some of the worst instances that can come out of that. Which is what you see in the second episode, um, yeah. what you see in the third, and the first one is like probably one of the, the most subtle and and kind of emotive viewings I've seen of. Um, of Black Mirror it touches on it. It does touch on that that sexuality side with technology being a gateway through, as opposed to the other way, which is usually 
exploiting the technology thing and the impact that, that has on the human. So yeah, it was um, yeah. it was yeah, interesting interesting watch. Yeah. All right, guys. It's it's, been a, it's actually been a, a breeze this podcast. We haven't we haven't had one for a long time, so hopefully we'll have one next week without no interruptions, and we have, we'll keep on coming on on a weekly basis. Like always, if you go on all um, podcast apps and platforms and rate and subscribe, I tell tell your friends about us, and then um, and also follow us on social media on um, on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter as well. So it's like that from me. And lights up for me. Have a good week, people. Peace.